That's where I learn to stand. Oh Lord, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Good morning. I enjoy good singing, don't you? I enjoy good singing, don't you? If you want to hear some more good singing, come back tonight, okay? The Agee family, they were playing before uh, service started. I don't know how many of you, did anybody notice that? Anybody kind of hear them singing? So they are absolutely fantastic. But they are not fantastic because of anything they do. They are fantastic because God uses them. God absolutely uses them. God has blessed them beyond measure. So the Agee family tonight at 6 o'clock, and uh, there must be a rumor out because I got a text message before church, and somebody texted me, and just a random number said, Are y'all charging admission? I thought, well, my goodness, absolutely not. We're not charging admission. I would never charge admission to get in a church. Amen. That, that'd be ridiculous. But uh, some people are excited. I think we're going to have some visitors. So everybody that is here tonight or here this morning, come back tonight. We'll be in 1 Samuel this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and very familiar scripture, very familiar story. Nothing new this morning, but we're going to look at it from a totally different angle. We probably, you've probably never heard this uh, scripture preached this way because, well, I've never preached it this way and I don't think I've heard it ever preached this way. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 1, if you'll stand to honor the reading of God's word. Stand to honor the reading of God's word. If you're there, say amen. If you're not there, just look behind me. It's up there too. 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 1 says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were to gather together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekai and Aphsadabedim. And Saul and all the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah, and sat the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders, And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearheads weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out and set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and kill me, then... Will we be your servants? But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall you be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for the many blessings. God, I thank you for the good service we've had this morning thus far. Lord, I just pray that the Spirit continue, God, to move in this place. And Lord, as the Word goes out, God, that you would just let it speak to people's hearts. God, let us have an attentive ear to what you would have to say this morning. God, not what I say or not what any human being says, but God, we look to you on high this morning for the message. 
God, I just pray that you would use me as your vessel. God, just, just use me in a mighty way as your vessel this morning. God, I yield myself to you. And God, if there's anybody here that's lost this morning, God, save them. Lord, I just pray that you would convict their soul. And God, I just pray that you would touch the Christians this morning. Lord, folks may be struggling. Lord, may have problems in their life. But God, I just pray that you would help them. We're moving this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Probably one of the greatest themes of Scripture, and it's, it's ever-present, is the battle between good and evil. Could you say amen to that? You don't have to go far in the Bible. You can go to Genesis chapter 3, just right after creation was put into place, and we see a battle between good and evil. You can find in the first couple of chapters of Genesis that every time God made something, he said a few little words. God himself would create something. He would create the fish of the sea, or he would create the, the firmament, or the ocean, or whatever it was. And then ultimately, God created man, and you know what he said? He looked at that creation, and he said it was good. God said that in Genesis. He looked at everything and he said, it was good. And so after all this good, and we see that we know that the Garden of Eden is a perfect place. In Genesis chapter 3, all of a sudden we have all this good for the first couple of chapters. And then, then evil shows up. And evil rears its head in, in the form of a serpent. And that serpent was obviously Satan himself in the garden. And we all know what happened. And we have the fall of man. And it manifests itself many ways in the Bible. We can call it good and evil, or we can call it right and wrong, or maybe even Jesus himself called it light and dark. But no matter how it manifests itself, no matter how it shows up, there's always that difference. God always differentiates the good and the evil. And it doesn't end in the Garden of Eden. We continue on and you can see good and evil when the, the children of Israel get enslaved by the Egyptians. You can see good and evil when, when Pharaoh is supposed to be letting them go, but he doesn't. You can see it on uh, in many, many places in the Bible. And you can see it on into the New Testament. It's, it's, just, it's a constant theme through Scripture. But not only is it a theme, but it is literally a battle. It is a conflict between good and evil. But when John the Revelator in Revelation chapter 22 verse 21 wrote his final amen, see the conflict didn't end there, did it? The conflict didn't just stop and God said, okay, I'm done canonizing my scripture. I'm done with where the Bible is and now the conflict's going to be over. No, even into this very day, there's still that battle between good and evil. Good is always manifested by the things of God. Anything to do with God is good in itself. But yet on the other side of that, you have the, the forces of evil. You have Satan and you have his, his minions and all those things that are always going to be fighting against us. You ever feel like you're in, just in a battle sometimes? I do. Sometimes I'll be praying. A lot of times I'm in a battle when I'm praying. And, and it seems like I'm trying to do a good thing. But it seems like the evil is always there just rearing its ugly head. And so we get to 1 Samuel chapter number 17, and we obviously have a battle, don't we? Everybody knows this story. I don't, I don't think you have to be a Christian to know this story, do you? In fact, society has made it into a cliche. When the underdog takes on the, the big powerful person, they'll say, well, it was a David and Goliath story. And we get to David and Goliath, and we find the, the scripture here, and it says that Goliath showed up every single day. And we all know the story. In fact, we not only know it, we know how it plays out. We know who wins. 
And a lot of times we like to focus just on how big Goliath is, right? That's one of the, the major things when a preacher preaches is he'll talk about Goliath being over nine feet tall and, and having all this armor and having this sword. And, but now on the flip side of that, he talks about how small David was and how young and how under-equipped he was compared to this giant. That's what we always focus on, it seems like. But I want you to understand that these, these people in this story were not make-believe people. This is not a fairy tale. This literally happened. Can you say amen? Do you believe your Bible? I believe my Bible, don't you? I believe every word of it. And so this literally happened. This happened in the Valley of Elah. This was a place in Israel, and it was a, it's a very beautiful place if you look it up. And, and it's just like it sounds like it was a valley. And so one day the Philistines decided to invade the country of Israel or the land of Judah, you could say. And they invaded this and they got to a point and they got to this valley of Elah and it said that they set their battle in array. That means that they set their tents up and they camped out and they said right here is where we're going to fight the Israelites. So Saul being the good king that he was, he brought the children of Israel out and he set them up in array on the other side of the valley. Now I'm sure when they got there that the children of Israel, like to, I like to read the Bible in maybe a slightly different way and I like to think about what was happening when they were on their way. They thought, well there's those Philistines again. Here they've invaded the land. See, this wasn't the first time the Philistines had showed up, is it? It seems like all through Scripture, all through the, the Old Testament that, that every time that things are going good for Israel and, and things are going fairly well right now, that the Philistines show up and, and they cause a problem, they cause a rift and they want to go to war. And so maybe the children of Israel go that day and they thought, well, here are the Philistines in again. We're going, to have to, we're going to have to beat them and we're going to have to send them back to where they come from. But something was different this time. They set their battle in array and, and they could see each other from the sides of this valley. It wasn't that far apart. The valley's maybe half a mile wide or something. So the, the Israelites could see the Philistines and vice versa. And they would look over and they thought, well, we're about to go to battle. And then something changes. What happened? Well, all of a sudden, a nine-foot-tall man walks out of the camp of the Philistines and I'm sure that when they saw him, they, they saw him at a distance. Maybe he looked normal. But as he got closer, maybe the closer he got, the taller that he was. He's kind of like Mike Townsley. The closer you get to him, the taller he gets, right? But this man showed up and he was nine feet tall. Now I'm sure to go with his nine foot height, he had the, the bulk and the muscle to go with it. And so the children of Israel saw this. And so this morning I would like to, to preach and I would just like to, to ask you something what is your view of the battle? See, every one of these people, these were absolutely real people. Goliath was a real person. The children of Israel, they're real people. Uh, David, he's a real person. And just as they were real people, they thought real thoughts like you and I. Did you know that? They, they, they have a mind. See, it, it seems like that sometimes preachers like to avoid things that go on in your mind, don't they? You ever notice that, that we don't like to talk about what's going on in our mind, but, but we have some things, we have thoughts. We have not only thoughts, but we have a perception. We have an outlook on what's going on around us. Anytime that you face anything, it could just be getting up and facing, going to work that morning, you're going to have an outlook on that, aren't you? Most of the time, if you're anything like, like me, when you have to get up in the morning and you think, well, I've got a full day of work ahead of me, your, your outlook's not that great. Would you, would you agree with that? 
You think, oh, I got to go to work today. And then some people get up and they're, they're, just, they're just chipper every morning. They're just happy-go-lucky and ready to go. I don't like people like that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I'm like that most of the time, so you probably wouldn't like me in the morning. But, but everybody that was in this valley, starting with Goliath this morning, that's who I'm going to talk about, they looked out into the valley and they saw what was going on and they saw that everybody, the battle was set in array and they were ready to go. And so they had some thoughts and, and they manifested their self somehow. And so this morning, the first person that I want you to look at is this giant named Goliath. And we don't have to go far to find much out about a Goliath. Verse number 10, I want you to draw your attention to verse 10. It says in the Philistine, this is talking about Goliath. He said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. He says, give me a man that we may fight together. Now, if I was going to look at Goliath's attitude, if I was going to look at Goliath's outlook on the battle, I would say this about Goliath. Just looking at Goliath, just drawing some, some suppositions from Scripture, I would say, number one, that Goliath was a very arrogant person. Could you say amen to that? He was, he was an arrogant person, and maybe he had good reason to be. See, it said he was the champion of the Philistines. Now, these Philistine people, they were people that were, they were just a, a war-torn people. They were people that were constantly at battle. History says that, that they just basically lived to fight. And so this Goliath, he would, he would fight his own men, and they would send, and they would kind of have wrestling matches, and they would wrestle each other, and they would battle, and that's how he became this champion. I believe that even the, the armies of the Philistines were, were somewhat afraid of Goliath. And so he went out there and, and he's, a, he's a big bad man. He's probably never lost a battle in his life. No telling how many people of different uh, tribes and, and different people that we don't know about that Goliath had single-handedly killed himself. And so the first thing that I see in Goliath is that he was a very arrogant person. And he went out there and he went out there by himself. And he said, look at those little weaklings over there. And he yelled a challenge. Verse number 16, you can look in your Bible if you want to. And I'll just tell you what it says. That he went out and he yelled his challenges for 40 days. 40 days. Now there's a significance in that number. Anytime you see the, the number 40 in the Bible, that's God. That's a number of trial. That's a number of testing. How long did the children of Israel wander in the wilderness? Forty years, right? And, and, and how many days did it rain when Noah was in the flood? Forty days. So that's always a number of trial. And so Goliath walks out and for 40 days he runs his mouth. For 40 days he was yelling at the children of Israel. And he yelled and he was arrogant. But not only was he arrogant, he was self-confident. This was a man that thought, hey, I can do this on my own. He thought, I don't need my army. You notice he walks out by himself, right? And he says, hey, you send me a man over here. And he said, and I'll fight him. He thought he was somebody. He was very self-confident. Now I want you to understand that Goliath and the Philistines, anytime they show up in Scripture, they are a representation of, of bad. They are a representation of darkness. 
of wrong. These people, they were absolute pagans. They worshipped gods that, that were just little stumps of wood. Pagan people. And he shows up and he says, hey, he said, I guarantee that I can defeat any one of you. And I feel like that sometimes that's what Satan does to us. Don't you, don't you feel like that? That sometimes Satan, he'll, he'll just show his face and he'll just start yelling threats. And, and, and he'll, he'll just start saying things. And it seems like that, that he'll say so many things that we'll start to believe him. See, the children of Israel, I believe that they, believe, they, they, they believed Goliath. When he walked out there and they looked at him and how, and how big he was, they, they looked at each other and they thought, well, I can't beat him. Can you beat him? Well, no, I don't think I can do it. And so they went down the line and they thought, no, none of us can do it. And so 40 days passed. 40 days. But not only do you have Goliath, who was this arrogant, egotistical, self-confident person, but then you move on and you go to verse number 11. Just go to the next verse down. And it says, When Saul and all the Israel, all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Skip on down to verse number 23. This is about Goliath. And it says, and his, As he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the words and David heard them. Now get this, I want you to notice what it says. It says, and all the men of Israel, all of them as, as a collective whole, when they saw the man, one man, fled from him and were sore afraid. So we have this, this big bad man named Goliath and on the flip side of that we have God's chosen people. We have God's people that have over and over seen God move in their midst. They've seen God do great things. And if they personally haven't seen it, then surely they've heard about it. Surely they've heard about all the great things that God did and all the great battles that God had won for them and how that they were released from the Egyptians and, and how that they were able to conquer the promised land through the power of God and all these great things. And this great history that Israel has that you can find preceding 1 Samuel chapter 17. You can go back and read it tonight if you want to. But all these great things that happen. And one man shows up and starts running his mouth. And what happens? They just freeze in their tracks, don't they? They just freeze in their tracks. The, the, the devil, he will, he will start yelling at us and he'll start putting things in our mind. See, that's how he's going to work. Usually the devil doesn't have to, to physically do anything to us. In fact, he can unless God allows him to, according to the book of Job. Amen? But I tell you where Satan works is he works right here. See, Goliath didn't have to lift a finger. He didn't have to go out and defeat 50 men for all them to be scared. All he had to do was say, I defy you. Hey, your God is nothing. Just send the guy out here and we'll fight. He didn't have to lift a finger. All he was at this point was just a loud mouth. Amen? He was just a big, arrogant, boastful guy. But yet the children of Israel, they were sitting over there in their tents and they were lined up maybe ready for battle. They had their shields on. They had their armor on. They had their swords by their side. But I can almost guarantee that every day when Goliath walked out, that you could probably hear the children of Israel's armor shaking because they were scared. They were petrified. They were frozen. They wouldn't do anything. Not one guy would step up and say, hey, 
why don't we go shut him up? And I feel like that, that we do that as a church sometimes, don't we? That Satan, he'll, he'll defeat us or, or he'll just come out and he'll start yelling threats. Hey, if you come out, I'll defeat you. And we say, now hold on. Well, hold on. Cecil, can you take on Satan? Well, no, I can't do it. Andrew, can you do it? Well, no, I don't think I can do it. Hey, how about, how about anybody else? Gene or Daniel or, or, or Mason or Tucker, anybody, can we take on Satan? Not by ourselves. No, we can't. And so every day, Goliath would walk out and the children of Israel were absolutely scared to death. So we've seen how Goliath is. He's arrogant. He's loud. He's boisterous. But then on the other side of that, you've got a whole army scared to death of one man. Scared to death. And I think that, that our churches are, are doing that. I, I would say our church, and, and sometimes we're afraid, but, but everywhere it seems like people are afraid to go out and battle because of what might happen. See, we, we live our life a lot of times on what might happen, what could happen, what may happen even. And that's how the children of Israel were living. They said, well, well, if one of us goes out there, you heard him. He said that we have to be his servant if he whips us. And so they weren't willing to take the risk. They were not willing to break rank and step forward. But then you find another person. If you go back to verse 11, it says that all the army of Israel was scared to death. But then it said that their king was scared to death too. So you find Saul, don't you? In verse 11, you find Saul. And, and when armies went to battle at this time, usually the king went with them. And Saul, it said, was a head taller than all the other Israelites. In the, in the earlier chapters of 1 Samuel, when Saul is anointed king, it says that he is head and shoulders above the rest of the Israelites. He is a great man of war, but guess where he was? Head out somewhere scared. He was as scared as the children of Israel. I, I would say that, that maybe he was cowardly. Maybe that day, that, that the first time he saw him, he just ran to the tent and said, Boys, we can't take him on. Don't any of y'all do anything unless you hear from me. I don't know what he was, but this king, he was supposed to be valiant. This leader, he was supposed to be a brave man, but he wasn't. And he tucked his tail between his legs and he hid. He hid. And for 40 days, this Philistine, who was a representation of Satan, just ran his mouth. But then the main focus of the chapter is not only on Goliath, but then a, a little man shows up. A guy that's probably, by, by, if you read scholars and read after commentators, they'll tell you that David was no older than 16 years old. Now I want you to understand that David has already been anointed king. You understand that. That Samuel has already went to David's house and he's anointed him king. And so David shows up on the scene and it said that he was bringing his brothers bread and cheese. What a good little brother that was, right? He was just doing what he was supposed to. And he went out there, and he wasn't a man of war. He wasn't old enough to go to battle. In fact, earlier in the chapter, it said that when David's three brothers went to battle, that David had to go to the house and watch the sheep. And so David shows up, and he goes to the trenches to talk to his brothers, and Goliath shows up. That's what we just read in verse 23, and I'll read it one more time. In verse 23, and it says, and he, As he talked with them, that's David, as David talked with them, his brothers, Behold, there came out up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name. And it, and it says that David heard these words. 
at the end of verse number 23. In verse 25, I like what it says. And it says, And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Have you seen him? It says, Surely to defy Israel has he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and he will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Verse 26 says, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth the Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David heard Goliath's threats. See, David hadn't been there for 40 days and his brothers, they were, they, they were probably used to it. They'd look at their watch and they'd say, well, it's about time for Goliath to come out today. Boys, hide, Goliath's coming. And he yelled his threats that day. He said, I defy the armies of Israel. And he would no doubt curse and he would, he would cuss at them. And, and no telling what manner of things came out of his arrogant mouth. And David looked at his brothers Looked them right in the eye. They'd been there for 40 days. And he says, who does he think he is talking about God? Who does he think he is? And David shows up with a completely different outlook. You see, when Goliath shows up, he was big and bad, wasn't he? He looked at the valley and he said, well, I'm going to defeat these guys and I'm going to send them back home and they're going to be our servants. And when the children of Israel looked across the battle and they looked across the valley, they perceived it as a place of danger. They perceived it as a place that they could not win. They thought, if we go out there, we're going to be defeated. And so automatically their attitude was one of defeat. They were, they were defeated before they even stepped foot on the battlefield but David shows up and he looks over not a soldier not a big guy but his outlook was totally different and so you ask yourself well why was David's outlook so different why did David look at this Philistine and say hey he's nothing he can't talk about God like that and David said I'm going to do something about it and so you go and you, you go on over to verse 34 and it says, And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took the lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. In verse number 35 or verse 36, he says, Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. David went in with a completely different outlook I like to think that maybe David went in with this outlook not not because that he had defeated the lion and the bear I mean that that was a great thing in itself I mean can you imagine grabbing a lion by its beard that's what it says and defeating it what a man David must have been a real man he was a man's man but see the thing about it was is he wasn't dependent on himself David didn't say hey I can do this by myself he said it's going to be with God's help. David, I think what made David one of the greatest people in the Bible 
was because he had such a personal relationship with God. I think what made David so great was not that he defeated Goliath or not that he, he was the king of Israel. I think what made David so awesome and, and one of the reasons that they're still talking about him in the New Testament is because that when he was out there watching those sheep, he communed with God. And he had that relationship with God. And it was so strong that when David heard this Philistine talking bad about God, when he heard Goliath cursing and, and saying all these things about his brothers and about his people, he says, I will not put up with that. So David took ownership of the situation. He says, hey, brothers, if you're not going to do anything about it, hey, Saul, if you're not going to do anything about it, he said, send me out there. And Saul looked him up and down. He said, you can't do it. You're a kid. And David said, well, I will do it. And we all know the story. What happened? David went out there, and, and he defeated the giant. I, I don't know if he was that good of a shot with his, with his sling, but I believe that God guided that stone, don't you? I believe that God guided that stone, and it hit him right in the forehead, and it killed him on impact, I believe. How did that happen? All because, was it because David was prepared for the battle physically? Absolutely not. Nope. David couldn't have defeated Goliath on his own at all. Wasn't going to happen. But see, the, the factor that Goliath didn't take into account, one of the, what you would call intangibles, was the fact that God was on David's side. Now, I want you to understand, God was on the side of Israel. Did you know that? That any one of those guys could have stepped up and said, Hey, my faith is in God and I'm going to go fight that giant. Saul could have said, Hey, wait a minute, guys. God is on our side and I may be in the king. I'm going to go fight that giant. But no, they cowered. They hid. They covered themselves up and stood there and, and just got insulted for 40 days. And it took a little shepherd that didn't amount to much to show up with the right attitude. To show up with the right perspective on what was going on. And he went out there and he was able to defeat a giant. Not because of what he did, because of what God did. Because he was hooked up to the right source. Because he knew the right person to call upon. And, and if you, you want to take a lesson from this today, it, it would be this. I bet... I never really thought about it until I was studying this out that any of those guys could have fought that giant and defeated him. Any of them. Any of them could have, but they didn't. But they didn't. Because they were scared. Because their attitude was wrong. In our churches, we shouldn't be scared, should we? We should not be scared to, to, to look... The face of look at the face of evil and say, hey, God is on my side. You can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do anything. I can't defeat Satan, but God can. God can. And see, God is on my side. You know what Romans 8.31 says? It says, if God be for us, who can be against us? If God's for us, if God is on our side, nobody can be against us. And it seems like that we constantly look around and, and 
there's fear all around us. It seems like the, the media is just, they're fear-mongering, you know. They, they're always piping stuff, and it seems like they're just trying to keep everybody stirred up and keep everybody scared. And we hear about all these things going on around the world and, and how that it's just getting bad and how that, that one of these days maybe they're going to execute Christians and, and all this stuff, and it scares us to death. And Satan, he just sends there and he just magnifies it. He just magnifies it. He just stands there with a megaphone saying, hey, do you hear that? Do you hear what the world's saying? Well, they're saying that, that Christian, it, 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 Christianity is not relevant anymore. They're saying that we can't go into the world and win people, and he's just magnifying it, and you know what? We're believing him. The church is saying, you know what? Maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe we can't do it anymore. But I guarantee we can through God. But you know what it takes? It takes somebody going into the battle with the right attitude. It takes somebody that has been communing with God day and night. Somebody that has that relationship and has that faith and has that trust that when they go face the battle, that God's going to help them, that God is going to be with them, and that God is going to do the work. As self-confident as Goliath was, David was just the opposite. David knew that he couldn't do it. And he humbled himself and God used him in a great and mighty way. It's such a great story, isn't it? That, that, that we love it because I think we always cheer for the underdog. You know, we, we like to cheer for the underdog, don't we? That's why I'm a Vols fan, amen? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, but we always like, we like underdog stories. But really, David was never the underdog in that battle. <laughs> David was the one that, that knew that he was going to come out on top. I don't believe there was ever a doubt or a question in David's mind, can I do this? Is God going to help me? He said, with absolute certainty, I know that God is going to help me. God helped me defeat the lion and the bear, and God is going to do the exact same thing to this uncircumcised Philistine. So I, this morning, I guess what I would want you to do is I would, I would want you to evaluate your attitude as a Christian. Do we live in defeat? Most people do. Most people are scared to death to do anything because they're afraid of what might happen. They, they thought, well, the giant might beat us. He might, he might defeat us, and we may have to be their servants. But David said, no, sir, not today. I have God on my side. Sister Connie, come to the piano, please. Brother Cecil, come get us a song. I want everybody to stand this morning. I want you to bow your heads and, and examine yourself this morning. Not, not examine anybody else, but, but ask God to examine you. Bow your heads for just a moment, and, and let's, let's just get real quiet and just think about this thing. Now, we've always, we've always heard about the battle and all that, but we never talk about the attitudes. We never talk about the mindset. We never talk about what's going on between people's ears. But today, we need to. Today, we need to evaluate our attitudes and our outlooks on what's going on. And I, would, I, I know this is a strange, it's, it's a different kind of message. I get that, but it's okay. It's the Bible. And this, this morning, I would want to encourage you. 
I want to lift you up. I, I want to help you this morning by the power of God and by the Word of God. I want you to understand that, that Christianity is not defeated. That God has not been made lower and, and defeated by the world. God is still God. God is still sitting on the throne this morning. And if you're saved this morning, you have, you have the privilege to be able to, to, to fight a battle through the power of God. And, and this message has mostly been to Christians this morning. But don't you understand, if you're lost, you, you don't have the same privilege that, that a Christian does. That when, when you go to battle in the world every day, you're having to go on your own and under your own power. Sure, God can help you if he, if he wants to. God can be on your side and God can get you out of situations, but you can't call on him. You can't have that same confidence that I have this morning, that Cecil has, and that, that any Christian has this morning to say, I can't do it on my own. So many of us are defeated. And if you're defeated this morning, I pray that you would, you would come to the altar and ask God and say, hey, please help me. Please give me that confidence. Please, please give me that, that gusto that David had. Not that I can do anything on my own. Philippians 4.13, it's so much of a cliche these days. But I can do all things through Christ. I can do it because God is on my side this morning. And David knew that. If that's you this morning, I invite you to come and get down to business and commune with God. Brother Cecil, sing for us this morning.